Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to those who are watching online. Good to have you guys here with us this drizzly Southern California morning. Uh, Let's pause, let's pray, and we will get started. Today I'm going to be talking about what's the good news, part two. So hopefully we keep this movement of hope moving along. But let's pause and let's pray. God, we are grateful and desire to have hearts of gratitude for life that you give us in spite of all the things that happen. Lord, we want to lean into your purpose, your love. We pray that this morning we would have hearts open, minds open to receive from you things that can be productive in us to help us to live out a life in following you and to be more like you. We thank you for this time and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Randy. And thank you, Alex, for our plants that are alive this morning. If you can see them. If you were watching last week and saw a dead plant, so did Alex, and she she resurrected it. So that is that's good news. I wanna before we get started again, kind of ask you guys this last week, if there are any things that stood out to you, maybe something in the news, an event that's happened to you, anything important or significant. You don't have to share. If you just want to nod like, yeah, something was, let me know you're breathing still here. Uh, I mean, the only news thing that I think I really heard about was the weather balloon, right? The Chinese weather balloon satellite or spy satellite, which is just it made me so curious. That's what sparked me. It's like, why would you send a balloon as a spy satellite? That just seems so primitive. But maybe, I don't know, maybe balloons have advanced in the years. I mean, but they shot it down, I heard. And so then China says, well, we'll shoot down your balloons too. Something. Anyway, just, it was curious. That's the emotion that came for me. Like, why would a weather balloon satellite be what you would send to spy on someone? That seemed... I don't know, maybe <laughs> they could have made it like a camouflage did or something, you know, made it like one of those other balloons. Anyway, any other things stood out to you, stand out to you guys this week? Well, I see the homework from last week really paid off. You guys just leaned into all the emotions you were having. 
Some other events did happen that I do want to mention. Um, one of the things that stood out to me last this week, and even just yesterday, uh, we got some more news about Shannon Robinson, Ted and Margie's daughter, and it's not good. Um, her lungs are not going to be able to breathe on their own, and so they have to keep ventilating her. And because of Shannon's condition, she has to be constrained. Otherwise, she'll just rip those tubes out of her. And because of that and how it will deal with her mentally, she has to stay sedated so that she doesn't, she's not in anguish while this is all happening. So they're at an unthinkable place. They can't let their daughter live like this. And the only alternative is to stop the life support. And I can't even imagine. And so I guess the emotion that I felt is just overwhelming sorrow, uh, grief, and we want to pray for them. Also, a close friend of my daughter, Lauren, named Alyssa, many of you do know her. Uh, she had a, a baby, and it was premature and wasn't breathing on its own and had some brain bleeds and some serious things happening with that. And so two just traumatic situations you know that are really life and death uh one with Shannon and one with uh Alyssa's little girl and and so the feeling of hopelessness the feeling of again sorrow just kind of would flood in on me um you know Karina and I were talking about it uh I don't know if it was last night or this morning but it, we just had that emotion just rush over us thinking about you know these dear friends of ours going through these things and trying to, again, empathize with them and understand that God hurts too. You know, what I talked about last week, the good news is God meets us where we really are, and that includes the difficult places. And I want to kind of continue moving in that direction this morning as we continue to look at good news and how Jesus brought good news to the people at his time, and in turn, how I think he's bringing it to us as well. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter four. Last week I was in Luke and I talked kind of about Jesus going through the temptation. And what's happening here is actually happening right after that, but in Mark's gospel. And in Matthew four, or in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew four, verse 12, it says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake of the area Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A lot of times we can overlook the meaning and emotion of event because we're so far removed from it. We don't catch all the, the nuances in what is happening here because this isn't our neighborhood, right? These aren't cities that we're familiar with, except in the scripture. And even the names, when it says, you know, John, uh, 
was put in prison, who is John? Now, I think most of us know here it was John the Baptist. And we think, okay, John the Baptist, but who was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, right? And no doubt Jesus interacted with John at some point. We would only imagine when they would go to festivals or, or feasts, I can imagine them playing together. I can imagine them growing up together, seeing each other every so often, depending on where they lived, coming together. And now maybe five years have passed and they would talk to each other. And I wonder if they talked about, you know, how things were in the cities that they lived. I wonder if they talked about the injustice that they saw with the Roman government or the the religious hypocrisy that was there with the Pharisees. And all these things are probably a part of the history, but we don't know them. But this was someone who Jesus knew. This was also the person who kind of introduced Jesus to the public, right? This is the one who said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one that I told you about. I came baptizing with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. In some ways, he's kind of a mentor. He's preceding Jesus, helping to set the way for him. Jesus would say of John that there's been no one greater than him, not in all the prophets. So Jesus had this high view of who John was. And what we see here is when he heard that he was put in prison, he moved. He, he left an area. Why? What do you think was the reason after hearing this news that he would leave and move towards Capernaum? Why did he move further away from where John was and where this event was? I think it's important to understand why was John arrested? Well, he was arrested because Herod Antipas got mad at him for what he was saying about him because Herod married his brother's wife and John was calling him out. And because he was in power, he had the ability to put him in prison. And this is a place where there is no division between church and state. They kind of are both empowered and have this kind of supreme power. There, there was nothing, there was no one that could say, hey, that's unjust, you can't do that. They just could do it and they did it. And so here is John calling out someone who's like a governor in that region and saying, look what you're doing. It's not right. And you're supposed to represent the people. Whatever he was saying to him, he was upset at him. And then later we would see that his wife's daughter would ask for John's head and he gave it to him. So execution, it, yeah, if it has to happen, it has to happen. Was John is that wasn't even a question. It's just a matter of this is how the power was at that time. And so when John is imprisoned, Jesus, Jesus leaves Nazareth, goes further north towards Capernaum, moving away. And I can imagine some of the things that I would feel. And we can't forget that Jesus was human, right? That he 
had the emotions we had. We know that he, he cried. We know that he had anger. Is it too much to say that he was concerned? That fear isn't always bad? That he moved further away because he had now been identified with John. John had said, this is the one who I've come to prepare. John gets taken, put in prison, and Jesus says, I better move away. I better get away from the turmoil that's happening here and go somewhere where it's a little safer and it's a little bit more remote. I remember when my stepfather was busted. This was in the early 70s. And he got pulled over by the police and he had 10 keys of pot in his trunk. And in the early 70s, that was a lot. It's still a lot today, but it was more criminating back then. And it happened early in the morning and all of a sudden my brother came, we were living at an apartment. Uh, I was living with my stepfather at the time at an apartment in Santa Monica. And my brother came and woke me up and said, we got to go. Dad's just been busted. And we took all the paraphernalia in the house and left in case the cops came and, you know, searched the place. That was the thought. And so I went and stayed at my brother's place for a little while. Police never came and searched. But anyway, it was just a precaution. Hey, he got busted. We don't want it to happen to us. I, I could see Jesus having that same, this happened to John. I wonder if they're going to start going after some of the followers of John as well. I wonder if those emotions started to take place in him and wondering what I'm supposed to do. And then Matthew adds this little detail again that doesn't really mean anything to us. He says he went to the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And first when we see that him going from Capernaum or from Nazareth to Capernaum, put the map of Gil, the first one, we can see where this is in comparison to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is much further south. And Nazareth is going to be up towards the north. And then Capernaum is even further. And there you see the Sea of Galilee, kind of right near Nazareth and Capernaum. So Jerusalem is down here. That's where the arrest took place. Jesus goes from Nazareth. He'd already been journeying up there and goes to Capernaum. And that's where he's at. He's moving further away. But those cities, thanks, Gil, are important because of what they mean to the people. Right? He withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. He goes on, he says, it's significant to them because of what was spoken about those cities. Those names, Zebulun and Naphtali, are two of the patriarchs. They are two of the sons of Israel. And so their names are permanent and where they lived was important as well. And so he continues in verse 15 of Matthew 4, and he says, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Now, that region has significance. And, and when Isaiah said those words, he wasn't talking about Jesus. He was speaking hope into a condition that 
these two regions found themselves in. Now, at the time of Isaiah, Israel was divided. Israel was split. There was Israel in the north and there was Judah in the south. And there was a division among them. At that time, Assyria was basically conquering everybody. And so what Israel... Siri. I wasn't talking to you, Siri. Assyria, I have a feeling that's going to happen a lot if I keep saying Assyria, right? Assyria was conquering everything. Got to turn this off. And what Israel did, being divided from Judah, is they made a pact with their neighbor, Syria, not Assyria, and said, let's join forces so that we can resist Assyria. And so they became just colleagues in this, right? They they were going to fight together. And what they did is they reached out to Judah and said, join us in our battle against Assyria so that we can stand a chance. Judah said, you can't win. And so what Judah did was made a deal with the devil. They, They kind of went with Assyria and said, we will fight against them with you because we don't want to be conquered. And so what Assyria did is wiped out Israel and Syria and basically took Judah on as now you belong to us. You're going to pay taxes to us. You're going to serve us because we are going to be over you. And so that is the, the situation that Isaiah is speaking to. And where was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali? Gil put up the second map. I don't know if you could see it, but that little purple spot is Zebulun, and right above that is Naphtali. It's right where Nazareth and Capernaum are. So these regions are significant to them because that's where they live. They're remembering the scripture, and it's connecting them to where they are right now. And what was the the darkness that they were living in? Well, Assyria had just wiped them out. The people in Zebulun and and Naphtali were under the shadow of death of Assyria. They were conquered people. They had lost their homeland. And what Isaiah was doing was speaking light and hope into them that they could trust God was going to be faithful to them even in this situation. And even Judah down in the south was living on the edge wondering what's going to happen to us because we too are a conquered people. Fast forward that to the time of Jesus. They are still living in darkness. It's just not Assyria anymore. It's now Rome. And it's the same condition. They are living a heartbeat away from being destroyed. All it takes is Romans saying, we're done with you. And they could wipe them off the face of the map and they would not exist as a people any longer. And this is hovering over them like a spy satellite balloon. (laughs) But worse. And living in this condition, these same reasons, regions, It's there that Jesus begins to preach in verse 17. 
From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or is near you. And and repent is change the way you think and are living. And, And I can't overemphasize the importance of this sentence because what Jesus is not saying is you better stop sinning or you won't go to heaven. That is not good news. And that is not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying to this small, obscure city is that heaven is right here. And you need to change the way you think and recognize it. Imagine the people living in this small fishing village when this Rabbi comes through and he says, hey, you guys, I want you to know heaven. It's really, really close to Capernaum. They'd be like, are you sure? Don't you mean Jerusalem where the temple is? You you know about Rome, right? Are you positive? I think maybe you're mistaken. But if the kingdom of heaven is there at Capernaum. If God was faithful to Nebulum and Naphtali, if God can be faithful to this small place and show up there, then where else can he show up? He can show up in Upland. He can show up in Pomona. He could even show up in Norco. God can do anything. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Is that the kingdom is nearer than you thought it was. The good news is God is closer than you imagined. And and from here, the kingdom of heaven began to be revealed. And it wasn't by military strength. It wasn't by economic power. It was in the marginalized people of a small fishing village. In verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And again, what we need to understand here is these young men who he calls are fishing. What that means is that they are no longer pursuing a life of, quote, ministry. They are not following a rabbi. They are not learning or continuing in the ways of a rabbi. They have gone back to their way of living from their father. You see, when children were small, they had to memorize the whole Torah. 
which is crazy, but that's what they would do. And what would happen is when the rabbis would see these children, they would mark the ones who were doing exceptionally well and they would go up to them and say, hey, you, would you like to be my disciple? Come and follow me. And that child would then go and follow that rabbi and learn his way so that they could emulate that rabbi. The ones who weren't good enough didn't make the cut. They were told, you know what? You should probably go back to your father's living and learn how to, you know, make a living for yourself because you're not going to make it as one of my disciples. That's who Jesus called. The ones who didn't make it. Doesn't that make you feel good? That makes me feel real good, right? For someone who, who got through high school with a solid C average, basically, you know, and that's because I cheated, Right? Jesus says, come follow me. He is bringing him back into this place that was supposed to be prestigious only for the the best of the best. And he goes to the outcast, to those who didn't make the cut. And he says, right there, that's where I'm going to start the kingdom. This is where the kingdom of God begins in the lowest point. Verse 23, it says, he went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The kingdom of God is right here. Let me show you. And the healing was the evidence that what he said was true. God really is here with us. And it's showing up in this small, obscure village that has a history of trauma and is enduring trauma still. And it starts off with these people who are forgotten and belittled and it starts to grow. And so Peter would tell us that you yourselves are living stones being built into a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood to this God, that these people make up the kingdom. As he is, so are we in this world. And so the good news is actually probably closer to us than we ever imagined. It's not just in our town. It's not just that the kingdom of heaven is here in Upland or whatever city you live in. The kingdom of heaven is in you in me, in the least of these, that it starts with the people and it shows up through these people. They didn't realize at this time that Jesus was handing them the baton. When he said, come and follow me, the call of a rabbi was not just to come and and learn the things I teach you. It is come and do like I do. Come and be who I am. And that's why when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter sees him, Peter says, if it's you, ask me to come because if you're my rabbi, I should be able to do the same things you do. And he stepped out into the water because in his mind, I'm supposed to be like my rabbi. I wonder if we have lost that. 
I wonder if we have been so far removed in time that we've lost the understanding of how close the kingdom of God is and how much like our rabbi we are supposed to be, how much like Christ we are supposed to be, and what the kingdom looks like. I wonder if we get lost in all the things that happen around us and the things that blur our mind and our eyes and we want and the things that look big and look shiny and look powerful and we miss the things that really have the life of God within them. And it's the people. And I wonder if we can reclaim that. So that when we see someone and we can see that that person, the kingdom of God is near because of you, because of me. That the kingdom of God shows up in the most unusual people. Shows up in our friends. Shows up in Shannon Robinson. And Alyssa's baby girl. I'll never forget reading about Finding Meaning, Victor Frankl's book. And the story he tells of the, the Jews in the time of the Holocaust going through the gallows and seeing a young boy on the gallows, not yet dead, but dying. And having to walk by and watch that as it's happening. And one of the men crying, where is God? Where is God? And one of them responding, he's there on the gallow. I read that and it floored me. I just had to stop. I had to stop reading. I just started weeping because it resonated with me that the kingdom of God shows up in the people and it shows up in the darkest, most obscure places. And that's the good news. That you are not separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it shows up and these young fishermen in Capernaum, and it shows up in the person struggling in the hospital, and it shows up in the heartache of the people that we know, and we get to participate in this. That is hopeful. And though the circumstances may be terrible, the good news is God is not removed from it. And it is a light shining in this darkened place saying, there is purpose. There is hope. You are seen and are not forgotten. Though you are in an obscure place that had been wiped out before and you feel like you're forgotten now, right here is where God is going to bring out something powerful. Watch. And then the ministry of Jesus couldn't be stopped from this small place. He would tell people, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, but it couldn't be held back. It was too good. Did you hear God's with us? Did you hear heaven is in Capernaum? Yeah, I hear it's moving down here too. We are invited to continue the revolution that Jesus started to bring the kingdom of heaven here where we live to the people we encounter to bring hope that light would shine in this darkness 
And that light is within us. Let's pray. Lord, I am humbled even to think of how close you are to me and that in some way the kingdom resides within me, within us, within people, within earthen vessels. But that is the good news and and that is what we need to grasp hold of and that is what we need to proclaim. And, And I pray, God, that we would be able to put away maybe a lot of the fallacy we've heard of what heaven is and it's only there when we die and that it doesn't show up here and now. Father, may you birth within us the life that could spread to those around us. And may it move us from this time into eternity, but may we not lose what is our opportunity right before us today. I thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a lot of times when I am will go into a home for dog training and the people will, you know, tell me, oh, I want to be able to walk my dog without it pulling me or, you know, chasing squirrels or going after other dogs or things. And I let the people know that before you can worry about your dog out there, you need to have control of your dog in here. Because if you don't have control of your dog in the house, you'll never have control outside the house. Before we worry about heaven when we die, we need to worry about heaven here, the kingdom of heaven here. Because they're not separate. It's still the kingdom of heaven. We change, but I don't think the kingdom does. And so we want to lean into that understanding. May our eyes be open to recognize that the kingdom of God is near. And may we live in the reality of that truth. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.